can see the passage there, but I'm going to read it from my little device, so I hope I can juggle the microphone and my device. One to eighteen. Yeah. Yes, that's all you yeah. asked me to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to read God's word together, and it's Daniel four, reading from the first verse, and I'm just reading the first eighteen verses. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Sorry. Peace be. Oh. Yeah, I think I might need that. Yeah, it's okay. It's the light. It's it's better from here then. Sorry. To all people that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me the interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom the Spirit is the Spirit of the Holy Gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of in my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. The leaves were beautiful, the fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field made shade from shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions in my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the beasts flee from under it, and let the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of the roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed 
from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Thank you. They're long chapters, so I thought we wouldn't go and read the whole chapter, but if you're over the weekend, if you want to read ahead, that would be a good thing to do. Uh, we're looking at Daniel chapter 5 tomorrow, and then chapter 6 in the evening, and then chapter 9 on Sunday morning. So they're long chapters. We won't read the whole chapter uh, when we come together, but it'll be good to read in advance. So, um, if you look at verse 30 of Daniel, somebody, I was asked to speak on the book of Daniel. I don't know who was responsible for that or why I was asked to speak on the book of Daniel. It's a long time since I've really looked at the book of Daniel, so I hope uh, this is going to be fresh to me as, as, and fresh to you as well. Uh, you have to be selective, and so I'm just taking those chapters. Uh, but if you look at verse 30, uh, let's take those as a kind of text. Uh, where, where Nebuchadnezzar says, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Isn't this the great Babylon that I built? I'm sure you, you know those uh, circular letters that people send out at Christmas time. You know the kind of thing that I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, dear friends, um, this has been such a full year. Gerald continues as chairman of the Intergalactic Bank, working 75 hours a week. He's managed to get his golf handicap down to three. He's become president of Rotary and he's managed to redecorate the first floor in his spare time. Elspeth has been juggling the raising of five children under seven with her part-time job as a TV producer with Channel 6. You may have seen that she was awarded uh, the OBE recently for her documentary on Death Watch Beatles in Wooden Legs. She's on the PTA of three schools while working hard to get the garden up to standard so we can open it again to the public in July. Ebenezer, age six, has been first violin in the National Youth Orchestra and is going to Oxford next year. Paula, age four, has been elected to Mensa. Ethel, at three weeks, is potty trained and bilingual. And, and so it goes on. <laughs> is not this the great Babylon uh, that I've built? You know, our culture worships human achievement. Uh, we push our kids to achieve. Um, but be, be, behind human achievement is divine gift. And that's really uh, the message of this chapter, isn't it? I want you to look at it with me. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, he's an achiever. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. It terrifies him. It's, it's more like a nightmare. And, and in his dream, uh, he sees a huge tree that reaches to the sky and it fills the earth. Uh, and the tree is cut down and only the root remains. 
and Nebuchadnezzar, that tree is you, and God is going to cut you down to size. So that, look at this with me, verse 17. Uh, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 25. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 26. Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Verse 32. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar, you get, are you getting the message? Do you see it's repeated over and over again in the chapter? Nebuchadnezzar, you're not a self-made man. It is God who has made us, and not we ourselves. Nebuchadnezzar, don't boast in your achievements. Acknowledge God. And he does, doesn't he? Look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored, then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified Him who lives forever. He's converted. He didn't really see that coming. But how did that happen? How did this proud, pagan king, the most powerful man in the world, in his day, how did he come to believe in the God of Israel? Well, that's what this chapter is about. It's a story in three acts. Uh, act 1, scene 1, you find him at home. Nebuchadnezzar is at home in his royal palace and he has a dream. Verses 4 and 5. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. I saw something on Facebook, uh, I think it was um, from the, um, the, the New York Times, it was a cartoon and there was a uh, I think it was in the White House and there was a shadow of a very uh, familiar looking profile uh, a man with funny hair <laughs> there's the shadow of Donald Trump there on the wall and all his advisors were standing around and said quick quick look as if you're loyal and uh, it must have been like that for Nebuchadnezzar you know, in some ways you could, you could uh, explain this dream psychologically as uh, the repressed fears of a powerful man haunted by, by premonitions that uh, his empire is about to collapse. Sure, these are the sort of nightmares that Donald Trump has. And any Australian politician for that matter. And that makes sense, of course, on a psychological level as to what's going on here. <coughs> But something much more significant is happening here. Well, this is what I really want you to see. God is, God is dealing with this man. And has been dealing with him now for probably over 20 years. Let me try and show you that there's, there's 20 years between chapter 1 and chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. In chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar is interested. He's never come across the God of Israel before. His gods are, are lifeless idols. And he's intrigued by what he sees of God in the lives of these Jewish teenagers. That's what, that's what they were. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and, and, and Daniel. They were just 14, 15 year olds when they were carried off into exile in, in Babylon. And, and 
Nebuchadnezzar is intrigued by, by what he sees in their lives. In verse 20 of chapter 1, listen to what it says. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, uh, they, they've gone to school now in, in Babylon. They're being educated uh, by the Babylonian school system. And, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. When, and so when he's confronted with the living God in the lives of these young teenagers, he's interested. He's interested. That's chapter 1. Years later in chapter 2, when Daniel's now grown up and he's, uh, he's, he's, he's an adult, and uh, in chapter 2 when Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's first dream for him uh, and addresses these unspoken fears... Uh, he's impressed, so much so that he makes some kind of profession of faith. Do you notice that? In verse 47 of chapter 2, listen to what he says. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you are able to reveal this mystery. Do you see what I mean? God is dealing with this man. He's intrigued, first of all, and then he's impressed, and he makes some kind of a profession of faith. How disappointing then when you come into chapter 3 uh, and you find him now fighting against the word of God and uh, reinterpreting it to suit himself. Putting up a statue in the plains of Dura, a gigantic obelisk. Giving God the finger, if you, if you will pardon the expression. Because that's what he's doing there in Daniel chapter 3. But even that is proof that God is working in this man's life. Think of Saul of Tarsus. Just before he was converted, what was he doing? Breathing out threatenings and slaughters against the Christians in Damascus, wasn't he? Why? Why such violence? Why such ferocity? Why such anger? Because God was closing in on him. The, the hand of heaven was hunting him down. And that's what's happening here, you see. What Saul of Tarsus saw in the face of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, Nebuchadnezzar saw in the burning fiery furnace. What did he see? He saw one like the Son of Man. And it had a powerful impact upon him. Just look across at verse 29 of chapter 3. I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. And now we're in chapter 4. This is 20 years after chapter 1. And isn't it interesting? When he has this second dream which is so like the first, he doesn't send for Daniel straight away. Why? Well, because Daniel is only going to tell him what he doesn't want to hear. So what does he do? Look at verse 6. We're in chapter 4 now. I'll just try to give you a kind of bring you up to speed with what's happening in Nebuchadnezzar's life over these 20 years. But we're in chapter 4 now, and we're going to slow down a bit. And uh, so what does he do? Well, he has this dream. He's, he's in his palace, and he has this dream. And uh, what does he do? He doesn't send for Daniel. But instead, we're told he consults his horoscope, doesn't he? Verse 6, 
I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. And when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they couldn't interpret it for me. Finally, he said, we're told, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Finally, Daniel shows up. He's not invited, but he comes anyway. And you really have to admire the way that Daniel delivers God's message to this man. Remember who he is. He's the most powerful man in the world. And look at verse 19. My Lord, he says, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Now, I don't think he's being diplomatic. I think he's genuinely concerned for this man. I, I, I suspect that Daniel's been praying for Nebuchadnezzar probably for the last 20 years. I, I wish I didn't have to say this to you, he says. But you need to hear this. And he speaks the truth in love to this despot. He's speaking to the most powerful man on earth. And, and what does he say? Nebuchadnezzar, God sees pride in your heart. And he doesn't like it. And unless you repent, he's going to judge you and he's going to cut you down. That took guts, didn't it? But he spoke with such love. I wish I didn't have to say this to you. But you've got to hear this. Daniel wasn't afraid to speak up. So you see what's happened to Nebuchadnezzar. In the 20 years, you see, between chapter 1 and chapter 4, God is dealing with him. His paganism has been modified, but not yet abandoned. The God of the Bible has gained his official approval. He's even issued decrees to that effect but not yet his personal surrender. He still thinks of himself as the monarch of all he surveys. And that brings us then into Act 2 and, and Scene 2. Twelve months later, a whole year has passed by, and Nebuchadnezzar is still resisting the word of God. So now the tree is going to be cut down. Now the dream is going to come true. And Nebuchadnezzar suffers what appears to be a major psychotic breakdown. Look at verse 28. Twelve months later. As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built? As he looked down from the rooftop of his palace, he would have seen the palace with its hundreds of rooms. He would have seen the famous hanging gardens of Babylon, which had become one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He would have seen 27 kilometers of walls encircling the city. He would have seen the inner fortress with its eight gates and the river Euphrates flowing through it. He would have seen the great processional avenue which he had paved with limestone and decorated with lion figures. He would have seen the ziggurat with the temple of Marduk at the top of it with its stairway to heaven. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built, he says? And then look at verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what I, is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like the ox, 
Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. How long it went on isn't entirely clear. It says seven times there in verse 32. Whether that means seven days or seven weeks or seven years, I don't know. Probably seven years. It would have been hushed up. The press releases would have said, no, the king is temporarily indisposed. Nobody would really have known the truth. But in fact, he was stark staring mad. Have you ever seen the, the painting or the drawing by William Blake, which sort of pictures him in this state of madness, driven away from people, eating grass like an ox, his body drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird, verse, uh, verse 33. He suffered a major mental breakdown which has turned him into a, a wild, disheveled lunatic. And it wasn't as if he hadn't been warned. Again and again and again, Jesus has been knocking on the door of his heart, louder and louder and louder over these past 20 years. It wasn't as if he hadn't been warned. And now Jesus... He's no longer going to be knocking on the door. He's going to take the door off its hinges. He is literally going to unhinge this man. He's, he's going to take away his sanity in order to bring him to his senses. This is what you know the theologians sometimes call a severe mercy. See, God is, God is serious about bringing people to their senses. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. In, in verse 28, he, he says, just as they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, isn't that where we are today? Isn't that where people are today? Uh, just as they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge, God isn't worth thinking about as far as people are concerned. So he says, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what ought not to be done. That's what's happening in our culture. That's what's happening in our society today. That's what happens to people who think, like Nebuchadnezzar, that, that man is the measure of all things, that they are the monarch of all that they survey. Francis Schaeffer puts it like this, commenting on Psalm 8, he says, man was made a little lower than the angels and a little higher than the beasts, and if he will not look up, he will go down. And that's what happened. That's what's happening in our culture today, that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. But it's not the end of the story. There's one more act before the final curtain. Act 3, scene 3, look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. He looked up, however long this seven times was, at the end of that time, he looked up. In verse 30, he's looking down. He's looking down from the rooftop of his palace. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built? But now in verse 34 he says, I raised my eyes towards heaven. And look at how the chapter ends, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. 
and those who walk in pride he is able to humble see what's happened a proud man has been brought down and humbled a madman is restored to his right man mind a broken man is mended Douglas uh, Coupland has a collection of short stories called Life After God uh, uh, describing you know, life in a kind of post-Christian era he's not a believer of course he's not a and in one of those stories he describes wandering through the Nevada desert and meeting a harmless but crazy dropout, a sort of hippie who has outstayed his time, a very far gone desert rat, that's what he calls him. And this is what he writes, he says, and then I felt sad because I realized that once people are broken in certain ways they can't ever be fixed. And that's, someone, that, that's something that no one ever tells you when you're young. It never fails to surprise you as you grow older, as you see the people in your life break one by one. You wonder when your turn is going to be, or if it has already, already happened. They can never be fixed, he says. I'm sure he would have said that about Nebuchadnezzar. It's too far gone. He can never be fixed. Acting like an animal, with his hair like the feathers of an eagle, and his nails like the claws of a bird. He, can, he can't ever be fixed, but, but he's wrong, isn't he? There is a redeemer. The Most High is sovereign. And one of the things he does in his sovereignty is, is, is to act in sovereign grace to mend this broken man as only he can do. Nebuchadnezzar has finally realized see, that, that there is one greater than he. At last, Nebuchadnezzar has found someone bigger than himself. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a miracle, you know. You're so, I mean, the, the essence of sin is self-centeredness, isn't it? I am the center and soul of every sphere. That's how we, we live. And now Nebuchadnezzar has discovered that there is someone bigger than himself. He calls him the Most High six times. You find God described that way in this chapter as the most high. See, as human beings, we're always comparing ourselves with one another, aren't we? We talk about the great ones of this world. But above all the comparatives, there is a superlative. The most high. I wonder if you've discovered that yet. And he reigns. And Nebuchadnezzar needed to know that. And so do you and so do I. In an age like ours which encourages self-promotion and self-assertion and self-reliance, you and I need to know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he wills. That's the message of this, this chapter. It, it's, it's grace, not human achievement. Isn't it? And what do you have that you have not received? Paul asks in Corinthians. Your looks? Your personality? Your opportunities? Your business acumen? Your talents? We'll find out on Saturday night. Your brains? 
Don't you realize that little kingdom of yours in which you sit enthroned, it could be taken from you in a moment. A phone call. A visit to the doctors. An x-ray, that's all it takes. It's madness to trust in yourself and in your own achievements, to look for your meaning and, and significance there. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Get right with God first, and then you can begin to live life properly. That's the message of this chapter. You're not a self-made man, Nebuchadnezzar. It is God who has made us, and not we ourselves. And that's his testimony, isn't it? Uh, look at verse 37, the very last verse in this rather long chapter. And I'm really, uh, this is all I'm going to say tonight, because uh, I realize you've come a, a long distance, and it's, uh, uh, you're probably tired. And so look at this last verse, and put your own name into this last verse. Can you put your name in there? Now I... His name was Nebuchadnezzar. I don't know if there's any Nebuchadnezzars here tonight. <laughs> My name's David, much easier. Now I, David, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Can you say that? And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The, the, the Welsh word for, for blessing is bendigedid. We're, we're Welsh. Yeah. All my kids have got Welsh names. They were born in London. We thought we'd give them Welsh names to make sure they realise they're not English. <laughs> and then we came and lived to live in Australia, so they've had a tough life. <laughs> um, uh, this is a Welsh word for blessing is bendigedig. And I, I remember being in a meeting once and someone asked, what does that word mean, bendigedig? Bend and get it, was the reply. <laughs> Bend and get it. Nebuchadnezzar would say amen to that. If you want God's blessing on your life, you have to bend to get it. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under his mighty hand, and he will raise you up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you did in the life of this man, Nebuchadnezzar. We thank you, Lord, that it is all of your grace. And yet we see how patiently and how lovingly and yet how severely you dealt with him to bring him to his senses, to bring him down in order to raise him up. And Lord, some of us here perhaps this weekend are kicking against the pricks we are fighting against. What we see of God in other people's lives, just like Saul of Tarsus did when he saw the face of Stephen light up with the glory of God. Lord, some of us are perhaps resisting. And we pray, Lord, that this weekend you would, like the hand of heaven, you would come hunting us down and bringing us down in order to raise us up, to acknowledge you as the Most High in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.